All right, welcome again to the Cavish Ships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk, darn it all, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavish. And I'm Chris Cervello. In conjunction with the Navy League Sea, Air, and Space Global Maritime Exposition, we present this special edition of the Cavish Ships podcast, focusing on a single defense supplier. Our show coverage of Sea, Air, Space is sponsored by Huntington Ingalls Industries. And today we're speaking with Carrie Wilkinson, Executive Vice President of Huntington Ingalls Industries and President of Ingalls Shipbuilding, the shipyard that builds more ships for the U.S. Navy than any other. Ms. Wilkinson has been with the company since 1996, first as a naval architect and then rising through the ranks to become president of the sprawling facility in Pascagoula on the Mississippi banks of the Gulf of Mexico. Welcome to the podcast, Ms. Wilkinson. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we are very happy to have you here. Your facility at Ingalls is one of the most complex shipbuilding industrial, industrial yards in the United States. You build four classes of ships, Harley Burke class destroyers, America class amphibious assault ships, San Antonio class landing transport docks, all for the US Navy and the national security cutter for the US Coast Guard. Those have been pretty stable programs for Ingalls for quite some time, but three of those four programs face a potential end in the foreseeable future. It's a pretty complicated picture. What's your outlook? What's your confidence? What, what, what are you worried about in terms of the future? The near term seems pretty assured. Midterm and beyond might be more of a question. Well, I think worry um, comes from risk assessment, right? And uh, we try not to worry. Uh, and so uh, as soon as we see a risk out there, the first thing we're going to try and do is mitigate that risk. And so understanding the environment, right? Right now we're very, very focused on certainly, you know, the, uh, the backlog and execution of our backlog. Uh, so we're very focused on that. And then what is to come because we have a very long view uh, of the environment and for our organization. And so we, we expect to build ships for the coming years and uh, well into the future. Um, we have, as you mentioned, the classes of ships that we're building today, but we're steadily working with our customer to transition and evolve those platforms uh, to meet future needs and future threats and requirements. So we're going to continue to do what we do. Uh, we're very focused on people, very focused on national security, and we want to build more ships. So where do you see opportunities for bringing business to Ingalls? What's, what's out there that uh, you may not be building right now, but you want to bring into the yard? Well, as I mentioned, we're, you know, we're very focused on people right now coming through post-COVID, right? And uh, we, certainly we've seen some impacts related to that, but we've been very assertive with our efforts to mitigate those risks over time. And we're, we've got a plan to do that and continue to do that. So we're, we're focused on, yes, the National Security Cutters for the Coast Guard. We, we are in a good position. We've got a couple of ships left in that class. Uh, and we will continue to work with that customer. We've had an opportunity to put in what we hope is a competitive uh, and low-risk proposal to the Coast Guard for the OPC program. Uh, so certainly we're hopeful. It would be a privilege to continue that relationship with, uh, with a customer that we've had a partnership with for over a couple of decades now. Uh, but certainly with the destroyers, uh, we're, we hope to not be done with those. We've got another multi-year coming up. Um, we're excited to participate in that. And then beyond that, DDGX, we will work with our customer as our partner uh, to uh, to see, understand the re requirements of that future program. So uh, we see that line continuing for the foreseeable future as well. Uh, you mentioned OPC, the U.S. Coast Guard's Offshore Patrol Cutter Program, where you're bidding for, I think, uh, 11 ships of the planned total of 25. That's a pretty hefty program. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about that potential opportunity. Uh, in fact, if we uh, were uh, to achieve an award in, on that program, we'd actually have as many people on 
those ships as we do today on LPD or LHA. So it would be a big program for Ingalls. We'd be very excited to be a part of it. So another surface combat ship program that's also out there for bid is the potential second yard for the frigate. Uh, that's, that's not being done this year, but it's still it's still something that looks on the horizon for, uh, I'm sorry, it's not being done for 2023, but it still looks like possible for, for 2024. Uh, this is still a program you'd like to bid on for the as a second yard for the frigate, right? Yeah, if the Navy decides to proceed with a second build yard, we are absolutely interested in participating in that program. Uh, a lot of consistent skill sets with what we already have today on the destroyer line. So yes, we are, are very interested in supporting our customer in that way. Carrie, in uh, December at the Reagan uh, National Forum, um, our sister podcast, the Defense and Aerospace Report, had a chance to talk to Mike Petters, um, the former head of AHII, your, your former boss. And he spent a lot of time talking about some of the lessons learned from um, sort of the big picture lessons learned from COVID. Can you talk a little bit about how the company and how um, your view may be different, uh, maybe before COVID and post COVID? I mean, what, what lessons have you taken away and what are still some of the lingering effects, whether it's with backlog or whether it's with workforce that you guys are working through? Well, I think the thing that I appreciate the most about how we as an enterprise approach the COVID um, pandemic, uh, we, we very much focused on the safety and well-being of our people. And I think by doing that, a lot of other things sort of fell into place for us. So, you know, at the beginning, we certainly took all of the protocols and were very aggressive and trying to manage our environment. What we do is not something we can do from home or in isolation. And so uh, we have a tremendous number of folks between our shipyard here in Ingalls and uh, certainly our Newport News shipyard up in Virginia, where people had to come to work every day as part of this critical infrastructure. So I think that there's a strength in a community that certainly has come from that or a strength, and I will say, because, you know, the shipyard certainly has community. Um, but as we learn, as we work through, you know, people had different challenges and had to respond to those challenges in their lives outside of the shipyard, let alone inside the shipyard. And so as they worked through those things, we had a number of policies in place to allow people that flexibility. And, and certainly as they took advantage of that and did the things that they needed to do to support their families and those, I'll say, external uh, requirements and pressures, uh, we saw a reduction in the workforce coming into the gates, as you might expect. And so there certainly will be some long-term effects for that, but we have plans in place to execute on our backlog and, and to recover those things, and we're having those conversations with our customer. But I think in that environment, uh, we, we very much focused on what were the things, you know, the, the clear priorities. It helps you have a clarity, right? You reprioritize things in times uh, such as those. And, and so it allowed us to focus that and stay really um, engaged in our top priorities with the folks that we had, how we think and do uh, sort of evolved, I think. And so, yes, we do have lessons learned. You know, the things that we need to do here on the facility, we had to do here in the facility. But for other functions that support the shipyard, it gave us some opportunities to uh, look and see what uh, what we might do a little bit differently going forward, and, and we're we're still doing some of those things today, from the teleworking and the you know the, the allowing people some additional flexibility. I've had an opportunity to visit um, Ingalls a, a handful of times when I was in uniform, um, and I mean I would say even beyond sort of the impressiveness of you know all of the different types of ships that you build. Um, I, I was particularly struck by the apprentice program that you guys work. Um, and I mean, that is such a, a key part because I mean, as you said, I mean, if, if you don't have people to build ships, you can't build ships, right? So can you talk a little bit about that apprentice program and you know how that has changed or will change into the, the future as the workforce changes? Yeah, no, I appreciate that question very much. As I said, we're very focused on people. 
And uh, we have definitely evolved how we attract and bring on new team members to the shipyard. And so you mentioned our apprenticeship program. We're certainly that's in full swing. And, and there are opportunities beyond just what it does to bring craft uh, into the shipyard. We, we have a partnership with our uh, local community college to do that. It also gives subsequent you know, future degree opportunities um, being an accredited program. But we also have a number of other things that we're doing for upskilling. And so as we come through bringing new shipbuilders on board, we have you know, the, the approach that a lot of folks come here with absolutely no experience, um, they're, they're walk-ins, and we do a tremendous amount of on-the-job training, and we've really, I'll say, recentered and focused um, and, and prioritized the things that are related to that, uh, and we've been having some really great success with that. We also partner with our local wind job centers, and so those partnerships have been extremely um, strategic for us in bringing on new talent to the shipyard. And we also have our CTE programs in the high schools, and we have 18 partnerships with local schools across the Gulf Coast, and we have um, four in particular, uh, a handful that we have done capital investments. Uh, we want to see them be successful. Um, we've also targeted sort of our unemployed or underemployed population here on the Gulf Coast to provide opportunities for adult continuing education and the folks that might just want a different career path. So all of those things coming together, we are absolutely invested in, one, uh, providing opportunities for our local community because we you know, do a lot for the local community with respect to the economic stability, right, through payroll alone um, before you even start thinking about corporate uh, stewardship and things of that nature. So uh, we take that responsibility pretty seriously, but it obviously does good things for the shipyard as well and helps us execute our backlog. So uh, sort of as a follow to that, COVID, uh, COVID obviously was a major uh, effect on people, but it also affected, you know, production time, um, schedules, things began to slide everywhere. Um, so, and, and of course, now in the, this past year, we've had so many supply issues continue to, continuing to affect production everywhere in the country. Um, you, you work under a lot of contracts with the Navy that are, uh, have a lot of built-in cost control features, uh, particularly as opposed to with, with the schedule and cost. And there had to be a lot of adjustments on, pretty much on a case-by-case -case basis. How, how, how does that pro process work with you and the Navy um, trying to re renegotiate, restabilize, reapproach re a lot of your individual hulls and, and how, how's that working? No, I appreciate that question. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be transparent with our customers. And so, you know, we've had a lot of conversation on where we see risk and trying to, you know, highlight those areas, uh, certainly where we can harvest opportunities because we've done that as well. And we're going to continue to execute on the programs in accordance with our customers' priorities. And so just being transparent and having that partnership, it's been much less a negotiation, much more a partnership in those conversations. Uh, we want to support the requirements of the fleet, and, and our customers have big decisions to make as well with respect to crew phasing. So, you know, it's the right thing to be, uh, to be having those conversations in an open way. All right. But, it, but, but, but this is still a continuing thing. This has to be pretty difficult at times in terms of, in terms of just trying to decide who's going to pick up what which part of the pie, right? In terms of in terms of working with a contract, these aren't these aren't flat decisions. You have to you sort of have to work with this ship by ship. Is that true, or is it is it a broader picture than that? I would say probably program by program, um, okay. maybe more um, descriptive. But we we haven't had any challenges there. We do have our contracts, and they're structured in a way that. You know, we have mechanisms to deal with risk. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, realized, and and certainly our the harvest of opportunities work in much the same way. Okay. Now I, I know that uh, switch, switching gears a bit to, to the yard, the facilities, 
terms of capital investments and infrastructure, you made a lot of changes. I mean, the first time I was down in, the, in that shipyard was uh, almost 20 years ago. And before Katrina, I was down there just after Katrina, uh, about, about, about two weeks after it. Um, and those were, those were dark days. Uh, you've, you've rebuilt this yard. You've put in an awful lot of infrastructure improvements. You've done expansion. You're into the, you, your, your old yard, the original Ingalls uh, shipyard on the East Bank down there has been cleared out. Uh, what, in, in terms of capacity and, 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 and return on investment, what are you ready to do down there that you're not already doing today? I would say we're ready to do anything down here. So you 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 mentioned uh, post Katrina. Yes, those were indeed dark days. But I would say that the light that was in those times was that it brought out the very best in our shipbuilders. You know, everyone kind of came together. And to your point, we did a lot of restoration post Katrina, but we really just restored in kind, right? And so over the past three to five years, depending on whether you're talking about IT systems or actual um, brick and mortar projects in the shipyard. We have spent nearly a billion dollars um, enhancing and modernizing the facility. And then we did that with, as a partnership, right? While about 70% of that funding came from our own organization and corporate, uh, about 200 million came from the state, and we did have some support from the Navy customer. Um, we really had that investment, sort of a holistic strategy in mind. So not only did it modernize the facility, but the specific technologies that we incorporated the West Bank improvements were really about efficiency, but with efficiency comes additional capacity and throughput, right? And so uh, so we had that advantage, and we certainly see that today, particularly in areas like our hybrid laser um, panel line. That's probably one of the most exciting technologies that we've incorporated uh, here in Pascagoula because it allows us, the whole focus is on affordability, about taking cost out of programs. And so, you know, it limits the distortion, down, the downstream fit up, things of that nature uh, come much more easily. And so, again, that efficiency creates throughput. And of course, the East Bank expansion and the revitalization and uh, opening that up for full, fuller production is certainly really exciting. And a good bit of that was purely about capacity, and that's given us tremendous flexibility from a birthing st uh, standpoint. All of our post-sea trial ships go over there now for final outfitting and sail away, uh, so that's provided us some exceptional opportunity as well. So a lot of the stuff you hear about in Washington, been on the Hill, in congressional testimony, is about shipyard capacity, both in terms of construction and, and in repair. So you're, 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 you're pretty much ready to expand your production in both those areas, if the need and the money was to come. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I mean, we have a world-class facility. We are fully modernized. We are ready. And we have an incredibly skilled and talented workforce ready to do whatever we need to do. The challenge comes in, right? It's really all about the people. And so having the people here, having the predictability, those are things that uh, I know that you are aware that are absolutely critical for us and for our suppliers, because all of our supplier partners are shipbuilders too. And so having that predictable, reliable demand is really important. By the way, in the meantime, we're going to do everything in our power to manage that for ourselves. We have that flexibility because we do have such a large facility here. So we have some level of ability to manage that for ourselves. But so that's the upside, right? The downside is we need volume to do that. So, um, but we are absolutely doing everything we can to stay viable, to stay healthy. Uh, but it really comes down to people. We have the facility. There is no question. Uh, and we're trying to make sure we retain the people uh, to be able to do anything the nation would need us to do. So are, are, would you be looking for more repair work down there? That's not your core business, but you've done some of that. Yeah, yeah, we certainly have. And uh, yes, we will absolutely be you know, in a position to support uh, modern maintenance, repair, and overhaul. 
uh, going forward. But I will tell you that for a facility of that size, that is, so I think about the shipyard as the top of the shipyard, the middle of the shipyard, and the bottom of the shipyard. And depending on the work, uh, that's really bottom of the shipyard, shipyard work, right? Those skill sets, um, some middle of the shipyard, but it doesn't do anything for these, you know, tremendous shops and the capabilities that we've just invested in. So we would be looking, uh, overhaul work will not do that for us. We are absolutely ready to support that. Uh, but we're also looking for opportunities to fill the rest of this facility. What can your customers do, for, maybe for those that aren't as familiar? I mean, there are people that will certainly hear your answer and know what that meant, but then there are some that may not. What can your customers do to improve um, predictability from your, your perspective and you know, be a better partner um, you, you know, uh, moving forward? Well, I, I, I can't presume to know specifically what the customer uh, can do to improve, uh, but what I do know is that we're proud to support our customer, and I do know, uh, certainly acknowledge that they are responding, as I, I mentioned before, to an evolving environment, right? I mean, we see it all over the world today, and so, you know, as they evolve to new requirements, we want to be ready to support those. We love the idea of transitioning current platforms or something similar to current platforms We've established that capability with our Flight 2A DDG to Flight 3 uh, uh, transition. We've also done an LPDs from Flight 1 to Flight 2, where we have, it's kind of like the car's going down the road and you're changing the tires while it's rolling, um, but we have an ability to do that. And uh, it's certainly in our interest to do that because we don't stop the production line, the people go away, and the people don't come back easily. Right. And so we're always looking for opportunities for early Navy partnership, Coast Guard partnership, customer partnerships to transition or think through requirements. We can make contributions from an affordability standpoint. We're always um, at the ready to do that uh, in order to develop win-win solutions. Just recently here, you had a major milestone for the Flight 3s. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between, you, you know, building um, legacy ships and then now building, uh, you know, sort of the future of the, the DDGs? For the fleet? Well, I think that the, probably the most exciting thing to me about the Flight 3 transition has been in having a team that in some cases goes much further back than Flight 2A, uh, but having that team build ship after ship. And the Navy really took a remarkable approach to the transition to Flight 3 because we've been cutting in predecessor changes to the Flight 3 um, uh, configuration as early as DDG 117. So when you start three, four, five ships in advance of the ship that is to be the fully evolved configuration, you really have a risk profile that's managed pretty effectively. Uh, and so seeing that transition, seeing shipbuilders grow with the platform, right, and learning those new capabilities over time, um, I think that that was a really great approach to doing that. And so to see those guys and gals come through the Aegis Lightoff milestone at the end of last year was just a thrill because that was one of the big you know, potential challenges, unknown unknowns, right, when you look at a risk profile, but they came through it with flying colors and they worked together, our industry partners with Lockheed and Raytheon. Uh, so really exciting times on the DDG program. And uh, same transition, as I mentioned, on LPD. If you look at the LPD-28, it's vastly different. There's no uh, composite masts. You're into more of a traditional configuration. So that took a minute to get used to that on the waterline. Uh, down there on the waterfront. But, um, you know, the team has done some remarkable things there and learning a little bit as we kind of transition those platforms. So you're doing, you just had a christening for the Jack Lucas, the first Flight 3 destroyer. Uh, she's doing sea trials sometime this year. When do you expect that to begin? We're, well, I was going to say that's at the end of the year. Um, at, right now we're focused on DDG 123, which is the ship before it. We're focused on both of them. Uh, but okay. we've got earlier milestones happening on the 123. So we've got separate teams that are working those platforms side by side. Okay. 
Well, we've been speaking with Carrie Wilkinson, Executive Vice President of Huntington Ingalls Industries and President of Ingalls Shipbuilding. Thank you for being here. Our show coverage of CR Space is sponsored by Huntington Ingalls Industries. And as always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Report for, the, for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. <sighs> okay, go ahead, Chris. We're recording. Go ahead. Always do it. You never stop. All right. Okay.